1: Hello, I'm Matt Berry and this is not Absolute Radio, this is the Court Case Podcast. Hello
2: and welcome to the Court Case Podcast with me your host James Court.
1: And Sweet Tea.
2: Prepare to board a short flight today because we're going to be getting on a plane with DB Cooper as we talk about the hijacking and find out exactly what happened and where the hell he might have gone and who he might have been. Strap in, guys. It's going to be an exciting mystery all after this.
1: I'm going to come by and check that your seatbelts are fastened. (laughs)
2: Happy Friday or Saturday, guys. Happy
1: Friday or Saturday, guys. Yes.
2: The reason I say that is because if you're a member of the jury, you might be listening to this on the early day of Friday, It's uh, which is pretty exciting, isn't it?
1: It's It's fucking exciting. Yep.
2: Ad-free or sponsor-free. Or, you know, you could just be a standard listener who we love anyway, listening on a Saturday or whatever day of the week you choose to listen to our podcast. But good day anyway.
1: Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Or Thursday, that is. Just to clarify, it might not be a Friday or a Saturday. But wherever you are in the world, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I hope you're enjoying it.
2: (laughs) You sounded like Truman, though. I know, I did it on purpose, because you watched it the other day. Loved it. We did. He goes, if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. That's what he says, isn't it? But anyway, uh, first things first, how about that Flat Earth Dave?
1: How about him?
2: We just had two episodes talking to that guy, and... I'm just, I'm still, I'm still awestruck. I think mm. of just what a man he was, mm. how passionate he was about just some.
1: Very interested to see what our audience is saying.
2: Mm. Something that I just realised is, I'm literally, I've got a fossil on my desk, and so I should have just shown this on the call and be yeah. like, explain this, Dave. Yeah. Dinosaurs existed, yeah. Bum. I doubt he'll listen to any more episodes, about us.
1: No, he's too busy doing his research.
2: Yeah, he's too busy. uh he, he goes on a lot of podcasts. I think.
1: Yeah, I think so. I got that yeah. impression. But because he kind of just—it was his podcast.
2: It was. Yeah, he <laughs> sort of takes it over and just shoves the information. James into and T. Face. Who don't know? Yeah, don't know who those guys are. This is now the Court Dave podcast.
1: What uh, was <laughs> that? Nice? But it just wouldn't be that, would it?
2: No, no, it wouldn't. But anyway this is a big topic that we got today oh it's
1: massive guys
2: we uh, hold the sarcasm (laughs) we probably won't have time for any other topics on today's episode i did because i like to be thorough when we do episodes like this So, like the alcatraz episode like the moon landing episode which dave did not like um i've done about five or six pages of research i watched two documentaries I watched um, a documentary by a YouTube channel a guy called Let Me Know uh, called uh, The Mystery of D.B. Cooper which was probably the most informative out of the two things I watched uh, the one afterwards I watched was the new the latest Netflix documentary which came out this year called D.B. Cooper Where Are You I watched that and I also um, did some research online I read about three or four articles and the Wikipedia page so I like to think that I'm very informed on the subject, informed enough to do a good podcast on it.
1: Yes, I think I think you are. Nice. Um, sorry, I was just quenching my first. That's OK. Um,
2: and how much do you know, T?
1: I know as little as can be. I know what happened and that's at the end of the story.
2: That's good to know, because what I like to do with these ones is I like to have tea, know absolutely nothing, so that, like the audience, she can just learn in real time and we get the real reaction. Well, that's
1: assuming that the audience knows absolutely nothing like me.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. They could
1: be coming to this podcast because of the topic and they're so interested by it. Or even DB Cooper could be listening to it thinking, fuck, they could be on to me.
2: Yeah, maybe hiya we'll we'll find out by the end (laughs) but another reason i wired you uh on for this one particularly um, not like you're on every other episode no
1: i'm not this (laughs) is a a first time appearance for me
2: yeah but anyway is because you are a flight attendant
1: i am i I am one of those. This
2: topic involves a hijacking, so you might be able to shed some information and well, light on stuff like that. Possibly. It I mean,
1: did... I haven't experienced one myself. No, but clarify. You've, you've done
2: the training and things. Yeah. So, um, but it it took place a while ago, so things might be a little bit different now.
1: Yeah, but. obviously security is like massive now.
2: Yeah. But we're just going to crack on okay so DB, the mystery of db cooper here we go so it starts in 1971 how old were you in 1971
1: and um, probably not even thought about mental mad
2: yeah i also was in the same boat as you or plane so this is the only unsolved case of air piracy in aviation history
1: what about the plane that disappeared and then came back years later?
2: Um, that's not been proven to be piracy or anything. What's piracy? Piracy is a pirate, so someone that what? takes over, commandeers a vehicle. So, oh, so air piracy. So someone. Oh, sorry, I right, got ya. Yeah. You, got you, got you. So the, I mean, the the missing Malaysian flight could be piracy, but it's never been proven. Right, got ya. So this is, yeah, the only unsolved case of air piracy in aviation history. It happened on the afternoon of November 24th, 1971. Okay. okay. So what is that? 40, 50 years ago? Uh,
1: 60. Something.
2: Fuck off. The 70s was 60 years well, ago. Well, 30
1: to 2000s, and then we're 22. So it's like that's... 20 plus 30, that's at least, oh wait, that's 50, fuck, I can't do maths.
2: Okay, fair enough. Anyway, so, a middle-aged man with a briefcase walked into Portland Airport in Oregon and purchased a one-way ticket to Seattle, Washington. He paid in cash. Got it? Yeah, I got that. Right. So, the man's ticket listed him as Dan Cooper he 36 other passengers and a crew of six people boarded the plane it was the plane was northwest airlines flight 305 so there was a crew of six people on an average flight for you how big's the crew four four okay so this had more crew on yeah that's ridiculous
1: 36 passengers and six crew
2: does crew include pilots
1: yeah Okay. So that probably would have been still four crew for 36 passengers. Whereas now we have four crew, and I think we can have up to like 160 on the plane. That is mad. Something like that.
2: Okay. So, Northwest Airlines Flight 305, Cooper sat in the middle of the last row of seats on the right side of the cabin. So he was right at the back in the middle row. Mm hmm. Okay, he ordered a drink, a bourbon and soda, and he had a smoke because this is the 70s. Yeah, you could smoke on madness. Cooper was described as being middle-aged, around mid-40s, wearing a black or brown business suit, black raincoat with a thin black tie and a white shirt. Okay, so very plain dress, so just basically a normal black suit, black tie, the lot. Once the flight was cleared for departure, he handed an envelope to flight attendant Florence Schaffner. Schaffner, assuming the note to contain a lonely businessman's phone number, dropped it into her purse unopened. Cooper leaned toward her and whispered, Miss, you better look at that note. I have a bomb."
1: Why why is that the accent you thought of?
2: I was just going with any sort of standard American accent. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so he whispered to her, Miss, you better look at that note. I have a bomb. Mm-hmm. Okay, so scary stuff. Inside the envelope was a note featuring a handwritten message stating that he had a bomb. I have a bomb here and I would like you to sit by me. That's what it said. Mm-hmm. Schaffner sat down beside him and saw eight sticks of dynamite inside his briefcase. Cooper's demands were, I want $200,000 by 5 p.m. in cash. Put it in a knapsack. I want two back parachutes and two front parachutes. When we land, I want a fuel truck ready to refuel. No funny stuff or I'll do the job. hmm Bonus fact I've got here. Adjusting for inflation, the $200,000 ransom would be $1,338,000 today.
1: Jesus Christ. So
2: quite the A ransom. lot of money back then. Yeah. Once the flight was airborne schaffner went to inform the cockpit crew while another flight attendant by the name of tina mucklow remained by cooper's side using the telephone in the rear mucklow acted as an intermediary between cooper and the rest of the flight crew for the remainder of the hijacking so the first flight attendant has gone to the front to be with the rest of the pilots and rest of the crew and a new flight attendant mucklow is sat next to cooper using the phone to go back and forth with any new demands yeah, of or anything, yeah. right? Mucklow said that Cooper was not nervous. He seemed rather nice, and he was not cruel or nasty. Cooper offered her a cigarette, and despite having quit, she accepted. I probably would accept in that scenario. Fair enough. Yeah, you know, you could possibly die. Your Plane's being hijacked. DNA. I'll have a smoke. Mm. You know. Um, For the next hour and a half, Flight 305 maintained a holding pattern near Seattle, where local authorities and the feds scrambled to gather the ransom and the four parachutes. $10,020 bills were collected from a local bank, and the owner of a nearby skydiving school supplied the parachutes. At 5.45pm, over two hours past its scheduled arrival, Flight 305 landed in seattle it was well after sunset and the plane was brought to a remote section of tarmac the ransom and the parachute were handed over to mucklow who brought them back on board attempting to break the tension mucklow jokingly asked cooper if she could have some of the money he readily agreed and handed her a packet of bills she immediately returned it and explained to him that it was against company policy to accept tips
1: this is a very strange situation how like uh, it's just all strange it's so strange you know they've you know just done it
2: mm.
1: and like fair enough she's made a bit of a joke yeah because obviously he doesn't seem to be a nasty person but it's just so weird isn't it to be like oh i'm gonna give you all this money so you don't blow up our plane <laughs> can i have some <laughs> yeah I, just, I don't know
2: um so can you accept tips
1: no i you don't can... think so hmm. okay i've never interested. been in that situation I'm, i um well, what interests me is, Normally, I'd put the money into... The, we have a charity bag on board, so I'd put the money into the charity bag.
2: Right, okay. Because what um, surprises me is, you know, most sort of customer-facing jobs, you know, waitressing, when you're in a restaurant or, some, or a bar, you get tips and you accept tips. And I know, from what I've learnt from your training and stuff, being an air hostess is a lot more than just being a, a waitress in the sky there's all of the health and safety and things like that but the public perception generally of an air hostess is someone that's sort of like a waitress in the sky so you would think the tip rule would you know transfer from the ground to the air mm-hmm. um but yeah
1: i know it's the first thing people say to you is like oh like when you when can i get a tea and coffee right literally like mm sometimes before they even sat down
2: don't even bother to tip you
1: and oh when can i have a tea and coffee
2: i bet americans <laughs> would i bet americans would oh, gosh, tip i don't know yeah i but don't
1: really know i've not really heard of it
2: mm. But anyway, so the plane is landed in Seattle. Mm -hmm. They're sorting out the demands for him. Cooper then permitted two of the flight attendants as well as all of the passengers to disembark. Many of these passengers had not realised the flight had even been hijacked.
1: (laughs) That's pretty good going, to be fair. Um, Obviously, they're very small, different planes back then.
2: Mm, Obviously, Cooper clearly didn't want to cause a panic. Yeah quite polite of him to spare the majority of everyone but i mean
1: it's it's good going because obviously they've like diverted yeah and these passengers are just chilling like oh why why have we diverted and they have Mm. no idea
2: yeah (laughs) so there are now only four crew members on board plus cooper cooper then told mucklow to inform the captain that he wanted to fly to mexico city they were to fly with the landing gear down the flaps at 15 degrees and below 10,000 feet.
1: What the hell?
2: Mm-hmm. The lights in the cabin were to be switched off and the aft stairway was to remain extended. That's the stairway people exit from. On this plane, it was located at the rear.
1: Yeah, planes now don't norm- don't have really stairs in the door. They're very mm. rare. You get like a, a jet bridge attached into the terminal or you get steps attached to get you onto the ground. Um, so that's a very, very old plane
2: okay so this uh hijacking in particular is extremely unlikely to happen now
1: well hijackings are obviously less 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 common now Mm. they don't happen i don't know when i last heard of one happening and if they were to happen you wouldn't be able to get your stairs out from your door mid in the air and and yeah it's just doors isn't it and leave it open so Yeah. yeah
2: yeah so two of these demands by cooper could not be satisfied the flight configuration he requested would not allow for a non-stop flight to mexico city because of this cooper then suggested a refueling stop in either phoenix Yuma or Sacramento before they all agree uh, before they all agreed on Reno, Nevada. So they're going to stop at Reno, Nevada and then continue on to Mexico City. I
1: love how they all like sat there, like having a little briefing, like, right. How are we going to make this hijacking work for you? I know. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Secondly, it was not possible to depart with the staircase extended Cooper agreed to retract the stairs on the condition that Mucklow remained by his side and taught him how to extend them once the plane was airborne.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: So he's going to learn how to extend the stairs himself once the plane is in the air. Mm-hmm. So, after being parked for nearly two hours due to the complications with refueling, flight 305 was back in the air by 7.36 p.m. Less than five minutes after takeoff, Cooper told Mucklow to head for the coplet at uh, cockpit sorry not cockpit and that from this point onwards he was not to be disturbed
1: so what sorry the hijacker said to Mucklow to go away basically yeah so basically go right. to the
2: front of the cockpit with the so i think it was just basically the two pilots and, and her um, and another now crew. on the plane i know it was another crew as well yes that was correct it was only four of crew okay. they were to be at the front of the cockpit and they were just to leave him on his own um at the back
1: what i don't understand about this already mm-hmm. is the authorities, yeah, they've obviously told the authorities what's going on. So when they're refueling, why didn't they just sneak on, arrest him, bish bash bosh, call it a day?
2: Well, what I think the idea was is because hijackings, I don't know how this hadn't happened commonly that much before. Um, air commercial air travel was only maybe a decade or so old. Yeah. Um, what I I imagine the feds' intentions was was we were going to agree with their demands we know where he's flying we're going to gather as many people with guns like mexico city he'll get off the plane we'll catch him red-handed right, yeah, true, team. that's what i imagined they were going to try and do yeah so um yeah so she was made to go to the front of the cockpit and cooper was told not to be disturbed the right. last time she saw cooper he was standing in the middle of the aisle as if he was preparing to jump Muklo joined the rest of the crew locked the cockpit door behind her and three hours later flight 305 landed safely in Reno once the flight came to a stop the crew ventured into the rear of the cabin there was no sign of Cooper or the bomb the stairway had been extended mid-flight and was slightly damaged upon landing so basically they all went into the cockpit to continue the rest of the flight landed, opened, he wasn't there crazy There was seemingly only one explanation for the hijacker's absence. At some point between Seattle and Reno, Cooper had strapped on a parachute, walked down the stairs, and leaped into the darkness. Yeah, and that is the entire and that is the entirety of the story of the hijacking. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts so far?
1: Absolutely mad
2: that someone could just walk onto a plane, so casually hijack and get that money and just disappear get off into the darkness
1: with a parachute Mm -hmm. and just uh, uh, fuck let's say he survived and you know survived this long and got away with it
2: well did he we're going to get into that in a minute where we're going to talk about the search for dan cooper
1: Mm-hmm. that's even if it is his name
2: yeah so the initial search for cooper once landed and as soon as it was clear that cooper was no longer on board fbi agents converged upon the aircraft but discovered a disappointing amount of physical evidence the only evidence they found were a black clip-on tie eight cigarette butts and two of the four parachutes
1: eight cigarette butts he obviously had DNA. A lot of cigarettes
2: um yeah we will get into that okay later. i was gonna say um and two of the four parachutes so he only took two of the parachutes with him when he jumped jesus
1: why yeah. did he even need four right
2: so the th- what people thought was the reason that he asked for four parachutes um is that he wanted to ask for four four so people would think that he was going to take a hostage so they would be more inclined to you know not shoot him or apply with his demands because he might you know have a human he might take one of the crew members as a human hostage but he never intended to it was just a ruse
1: oh okay clever
2: So, it was clear that he brought the ransom and the briefcase along with him. In interviews conducted on the night of the hijacking, Cooper was described by the crew and passengers as a white male with brown eyes and dark hair. He appeared to be in his mid-40s and wore dark trench coat, dark suit, white shirt, we've talked about this, black tie, blah, 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 blah. After boarding, he donned a pair of sunglasses. Based on this description, the FBI produced some composite sketches of what Cooper could have looked like. We uh, will put those on the Instagram, Instagram yeah. stories to show people. But to be honest, with the description that people were given and stuff, he just seemed like a. The sketches just look like a normal mid 40s guy. Mm. Like, very difficult. Before the FBI could start their search, however, they needed to figure out when exactly Cooper jumped out of the plane. However, none of the crew members witnessed Cooper jumping from the plane, nor did the pilots of two fighter jets who were escorting the plane between Seattle and Reno. So they got two fighter jets to escort. And they didn't the plane. see him jump off. No, th- this isn't surprising because it was the middle of the night. Well, yeah, And true. he was wearing a black suit.
1: Yeah, you know,
2: he, w- he wasn't exactly bright. But
1: surely they would have saw the stairs be retracted and the light coming off the plane.
2: Well, he one of his demands was to have the lights off on the plane and also the crew wouldn't have seen it because they were all in the cockpit.
1: I know that, but the people in the flight jet, yeah, surely the f- they would have saw.
2: Clearly they didn't. The flight crew Smart. did report something odd though. The last communication with Cooper occurred at around 8.05pm the crew used the intercom to offer him assistance, and he declined. Within the next ten minutes, the crew experienced what they described as an oscillation or vibration of the aircraft. At the time, the crew suspected that it might have been due to Cooper jumping from the plane. A recreation, a re- sorry, a recreation of the hijacking supports this conclu- conclusion. So, not long after their last communication with Cooper, they felt like a jo- a jolt, or yeah. a thing in the aircraft. So. This, therefore, takes care of the when. So clearly Cooper jumped around 8.05 to 8.15 p.m. in the night. Okay. But what about where? So where did he land? That's the question. In his demands Cooper was very specific about the flight's configuration and destination but he never specified any kind of route. In fact, he grew so impatient when the plane was refuelling in Seattle that when the captain requested a flight plan, he told him to get the show on the road.
1: Right.
2: So, the captain chose to fly along an airway known as Victor 23 without any input from Cooper. So, Cooper basically said, we're going to stop in Reno and fly to Mexico, but he didn't uh, tell the captain at all which what direction or which to way to go. Yeah. yeah. By using Victor 23 as a guide, the FBI estimated that the most probable location of the flight at the time of the jump was about 40 kilometres north of Portland, Oregon. At the break of dawn, the FBI mounted an impressive search operation using helicopters, airplanes... ...and ground troops. Mm-hmm. The problem, however, was that even if the estimated place of jump was accurate, Cooper's eventual landing, or drop zone, was far more difficult to pinpoint. The search area the FBI had decided on covered a vast stretch of mountainous wilderness filled with dense forest. It was like finding a needle in a haystack. The search was further compli- complicated by low temperatures and inclement weather. Despite their best efforts, authorities never managed to find a single trace of Cooper, nor the items he'd brought along with him.
1: Oh my gosh. So
2: in the first like two or three nights after his jump, they couldn't find anything due to it was possibly such dense wilderness the mountains the weather was and shit terrible and he's probably and very
1: clever and he's you know gotten rid of everything
2: yeah well he knows and he knew enough of, he clearly has some sort of knowledge about flights and planes yeah um so over uh, some uh, so some sort of anyway but so this happened in November. They, The FBI had made little progress by December. So what they did was they decided to turn their attention to the $200,000 ransom. Mm-hmm. So the money had been collected from Seattle First National Bank. They maintained a ransom package of $250,000 for just such an occasion. So I don't know if every bank does this, but this bank has put money aside in case there is a sudden... Hostage ransom situation, and they need to give some criminal money to save some lives.
1: So, how did this work? So, they landed in a place, and then mm-hmm. a crew member. What they're obviously in the airport, and then to the city, it's normally at least half an hour. So, then what had to get so they a la- taxi?
2: Yeah, so they landed at Seattle. No, none of the crew would have would have left the immediate vicinity of the so aircraft. So, they got
1: somebody else to do it.
2: Yeah, what would happen was the plane landed in Seattle. They would they were refueling. They got the
1: passengers off.
2: They got the passengers and the crew off that he would let. And then they would contact the authorities who would then go to the bank, give the, get the money in the parachutes and bring it. And they would give it to a member of the crew. I believe they gave it to Mucklow, who came on and gave it to Cooper. Him. Right. Yeah. Okay. So this bank had put $250,000 aside for these sort of hostage situations. Yeah. Because of this... The serial numbers of the $10,020 banknotes that were given to Cooper were documented in advance. Brilliant. So they had written down the serial numbers of every single banknote. A complete list of these serial numbers were quickly made available to financial institutions, government agencies and the general public the intention of this was to make it as difficult as possible for, for cooper to spend, to spend his money yeah. yes exactly if you found a note with a matching serial number you could have earned a reward of twenty-five thousand dollars. so i've put well,
1: a- then surely db cooper would hand in all those things and say give me my actual money <laughs> yeah
2: but then they would just catch it wouldn't they
1: yeah, but he could pay someone to do it for him so they wouldn't. it, it doesn't look like yeah. him. That's what that smart person would mm. do.
2: I've got a bonus fact. So if you found one of the $20 banknotes and you gave it in to uh, the authorities, you would earn a profit of $24,980. Yeah. So that's quite tidy. You just said that. Payday. Yeah, I know. I was just giving the exact profit oh, right. okay. you, could, you could earn. <laughs> <All right. laughs> However, in spite of these efforts, nobody ever... ...did hand in any of the money.
1: Interesting. Until... Oh.
2: ...almost a decade later. So almost 10 years later, on February the 10th, 1980. Okay. Brian Ingram was his name... A young boy, he was building a campfire, seriously a young boy, he was like 12, 13, 14. Mm -hmm. A young boy was building a campfire on a small beach in southern Washington. As he was digging into the sand, Ingram uh, discovered three bundles of cash totaling $5,880. Whoa. having heard about the infamous hijacking Ingram's parents brought the severely degraded bundles to the FBI the notes were promptly inspected and sure enough the serial numbers matched those of the ransom
1: Jesus so it's been buried for 10 years
2: um, well this bundle it's this specific bundle was buried yes right after the excitement died down the money actually started to raise far more questions than it answered The main one being, how? How did the money end up so far away from the estimated drop zone? It was 27 kilometres away from where they initially thought Cooper had landed. Right. If you took out a map of the area you will most likely assume that Cooper dropped some of the money and it fell possibly into the Louis River. The bundles would then carry themselves downstream by the Columbia River before being washed ashore at Tina Bar. Tina Bar is the name of the beach where he found the bundles of cash. So if you you went on Google Maps and looked, Mm. the Louis River goes through the drop zone and then down to Tina Bar. Right. So you could assume it got that washed that it got washed down, yeah, but the problem with that theory is that the Columbia River flows in the opposite direction, oh, so there's no way it could have rushed down to just washed down to Tina Bar, which is strange, so this caused the FBI and others to reevaluate the drop zone assessment. If Cooper dropped further southeast, it's conceivable that the money could have fallen into the river and floated down to Tina Bar. Or alternatively, if the flight path was further west, the money could have simply landed at Tina Bar. But these theories aside, natural explanations struggle to explain how three independent, potentially free-falling or free-floating bundles of cash ended up at the exact same place on the exact same beach. Yeah, Because these, these three bundles of cap cash weren't attached to each other. They were separate. So... W- How did they all manage to end up in the exact same place? When Ingram discovered the bundles, the elastic bands which held them together were still intact. This is significant because tests conducted in 2009 revealed that this brand of elastic band could not withstand exposure to open air or water for more than a year. What? Yeah, they would have degraded.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's crazy. That's what I'm saying. If it's been 10 years.
2: Yeah, so unless the bundles were somehow protected from the elements they must have been buried at tina bar within a year of the hijacking so oh there is no way those cat bundles of cash ended up at tina bar without human intervention yeah absolutely the most probable explanation then is that cooper or someone else Deliberately buried the money. Did Cooper survive and bury the money himself? Did someone else bury the money after finding Cooper's body? The answer to these questions has eluded investigators for decades. Today, at Tina Bar or the Washugal River, there has been no sign of Cooper or the rest of the money. Okay. So, I've got a little bit here on the chances of whether Cooper died from the fall or not.
1: Right, interesting. So...
2: There is no hard evidence for nor against Cooper's survival. When Cooper leapt into the darkness, flight 305 was ploughing through a rainstorm at around 170 knots, 10,000 feet above southern Washington. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty high. The wind was so violent that it ripped off a placard from the stairway, which was later recovered in 1978, almost directly below the estimated flight path. To say that Cooper was not dressed for the occasion would be an understatement. He was in a bucking suit. Yeah, he was. Uh, his view from the plane was obscured by multiple layers of clouds, so he would have jumped without knowing his precise location. The parachute he selected was a non-steerable parachute. So you know you get ones oh, with yeah. those rods you can steer. His wasn't one of those. So it was just luck wherever he landed. Also, while Cooper displayed some competence with parachutes, his skill is up for debate. It's widely believed that Cooper demanded two pairs of parachutes two primary and two reserve to make the authorities believe that he intended to take a hostage, which I explained earlier. Yeah, They didn't sabotage the chutes, though, as they didn't want to risk the life of an innocent civilian. However, in the rush to obtain the parachutes, the FBI accidentally provided Cooper with a non-functional dummy chute that is intended for training purposes. The dummy chute is one of the ones Cooper took with him, along with one of the primary chutes. So that suggests that he doesn't have... Uh, Adverse knowledge of parachutes if he couldn't recognize that it was a dummy chute and he took it with him. Mm. So, however, this may not have been a lapse of Cooper's judgment as he could have used the dummy chute not as a reserve but as a means to sc- uh, secure the bag of money. So, he could have used one of the parachutes to fold up and secure all the money and then the yeah. other primary chute as a normal shoot. Now, here's what I've got on the chances of cooper surviving authorities never received a missing persons report matching the description of cooper in the wake of the hijacking this suggests that cooper did survive and that he swiftly and quietly resumed his normal routine Mm -hmm. because they were if if he went and he died his family whoever would have filed a missing person's report or if he had any
1: family or anyone in his life that is
2: also a question he could have just been complete a complete loner yeah yeah and finally, the uh, the simple explanation for how three bundles of cash ended up at Tina Bar is human intervention is that he buried them. There is no concrete evidence of Cooper's death, which leads the way to the far more exciting proposition that he did, in fact, survive.
1: Yeah, he survived. He's, he might not still be out there now because of the age.
2: Mm. I believe he survived. There are suspects, and we're going to go into the suspects, that are still alive today. So there is a chance that he is still alive. Oh, okay. Because it was only 1971.
1: Yeah, but it depends how old he was uh, when he did it.
2: Oh, yeah, he was mid supposedly mid-40s. Yeah. So other in- cr- interesting things that I thought you would would be of note. Cooper did not hold a grudge against Northwest Airlines. That was not his motive. When Tina Mucklow asked Cooper... How do
1: they know that? Oh, sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> when Tina Mucklow asked Cooper about his motives, he responded, it's not because I have a grudge against your airline. It's just because I have a grudge. He further clarified that fl- Flight 306 just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Right. Okay. It's clear that Cooper came prepared. He demonstrated extensive technical knowledge of aircraft and flying in general, recognised by the city of Tacoma from the uh, air. Oh, so when he was in on the plane, he recognised a city that he saw out the window. So he clearly has a knowledge of the local terrain, which means he prob- quite possibly was from the local area.
1: Or maybe he was a pilot if he knew all this stuff about flying.
2: Possibly, possibly. That I I go into that with the suspects later. Um... He maintained a low profile to avoid a panic. He covered his eyes with sunglasses to conceal his identity. He left very little evidence behind and he demanded four parachutes to force the assumption he was taking a hostage. He was even cunning enough to reclaim the note that he gave Florence Schaffner right at the start. So he was clearly a very smart and calculated individual that knew what he was doing. He left barely any evidence behind. So he took back that note so there would be barely anything of his handwriting so here we go apart from the name on his plane ticket there are no other examples of Cooper's handwriting the fact that we even know what was written on the note is is only from um, Florence Schaffner's memory
1: that's crazy
2: yeah so the suspects who could yes, have done it?
1: exciting. First suspect
2: was a man in Portland with the initials DB and the surname Cooper. This Cooper was quickly eliminated as a suspect, but due to a mix-up by the press, the name Dan Cooper was confused for DB Cooper, and the rest is history.
1: Oh, right. So
2: he wasn't ever actually called DB, DB Cooper. Yeah. It was a mix-up by the media, oh, and he's right. been referred to ever since. It is widely thought that Dan Cooper is probably a pseudonym and not his actual name.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, I think that as well. So, here's an interesting one. There was a comic book titled Dan Cooper about a fighter pilot, but it was never released in America. It was released in Canada, however. Canadian and American accents are often hard to distinguish between, so it's perfectly reasonable that Dan Cooper could be Canadian. So he could be Canadian. He could have seen that comic when he was younger and used that as his pseudonym. And yeah. hijacked the plane. Yeah. Mm. This is further supported by something Cooper said to air traffic control. When he relayed his demands to them, he said he wants money in negotiable American currency. It's doubtful that an American citizen would specify American currency. That's true. Mm. Nearly half a century has gone by since the hijacking took place. In that time, thousands of suspects have been questioned and investigated. We can't discuss all of them here because there's just too many, but let's take a look at some of the more interesting suspects. Yeah, let's do it. You ready for this? We're going to get to the suspects right after Planning for
0: your next trip?
2: Right. So you've joined us back again. Here we go. So we're going to get to the suspects and we're going to see. I might pick one that I think is the likeliest to be him and you pick one as well.
1: Okay. Obviously, I'll wait until you say them all. Obviously. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So the first one is called uh, Robert W. Rackstraw he first became a suspect in 1978 seven years after the hijacking he was a suspect in the netflix documentary db cooper where are you i'll get to that in a minute he seems like a good candidate on the surface he had a military background he knew how to make a bomb he had a criminal record he had an uncle named john cooper that was a skydiver oh my gosh He was expelled from the army only five months before the hijacking, which might assume suggest a motive. When confronted by journalists and PIs, Rackstraw would neither confirm nor outright deny that he was DB Cooper. He would say things like, I could have been or I would not discount myself. But on the other hand, Rackstraw had light colored eyes, which Cooper did not. And he was 28, not in his his mid forties. Now I watched the documentary on Netflix and the way that they framed that documentary, I actually didn't like it compared to the um, video that I saw on YouTube because it felt like they were really trying to force him to be D.B. Cooper. Like, he's still alive now. And they were, like, going to his house without permission and they were, like, shouting at him and trying to get him to answer questions. Yeah, Yeah, I know. And And it felt like they have all these suspects, but it felt like the netflix documentary were trying to force themselves to have the definitive answer and force themselves it to be rational why would
1: they think that some cameras and some men raiding his house is going to make him admit it now when it has been like 50 years exactly
2: but for me personally yeah maybe he could have looked old for his age but if he was 28 i doubt he could have looked mid 40s and also his eyes were light colored and the all of the air hostesses and stuff have been really adamant about his um, eye colours being dark brown. And so I, I think that itself, just discounting. I think everything else, obviously, is, you know... Very A weird coincidence. Weird coincidences, but I don't think it's him.
1: Okay, well, please don't then, tell me who you think it is until it's
2: done. I won't. That was just the first one. Thank I just you. kind of wanted to rant about it because it annoyed me in the documentary. Yeah, no, I get It's that. also the fact that he's one of the only ones that's still alive. Yeah, so, they so now they're just doing life. it on him, Yeah, yeah
1: no shit life for him if the like it turns out it wasn't him do you know
2: yeah what I mean? yeah so next one i've got is called richard f mccoy jr he first became a suspect in 1972 which is just a year after when he hijacked a boeing 727 and escaped via the stairway much like cooper mccoy used a fake name Used an explosive device to threaten the queue. Used handwritten notes to issue his demands. Both McCoy and Cooper used the phrase, no funny stuff. He demanded $500,000 in cash and four parachutes. He also had a military background. He survived the fall of his hijacking and managed to survive two full days before he was apprehended and sentenced to 45 years in prison. Before his death in 1974, only two years after he did that hijacking, McCoy refused to confirm nor deny that he was D.B. Cooper. But on the other hand, McCoy was an avid recreational skydiver and even came prepared with a skydiving helmet and jumpsuit which Cooper did not. He gave very specific instructions about the flight path, which Cooper didn't. He used a different type of explosive and an unloaded handgun to threaten the crew. He failed to retrieve one of the notes he gave to a flight attendant. He was only 29 years old at the time of the hijacking and three flight attendants were quite certain that McCoy was not Cooper. While there are many parallels between the two cases, McCoy is most likely a copycat that had heard about Cooper in the news.
1: yeah. I was yeah. just thinking that. Because how many years was that beforehand?
2: Um, he only did his hijacking a year after the Cooper hijacking.
1: Oh, he did his hijacking a year after Cooper? Yeah. Oh. So he
2: probably heard about it in the news. Sorry,
1: I was yeah. this whole time I thought it was he did it before Cooper.
2: No, he did it after. Oh, right. Okay, fair yeah. enough.
1: And then what? And then he got sentenced to 45 years, but he got killed after two?
2: Well, he probably just died of a disease. Or oh, shit. Like I thought
1: yeah. you meant like electric chair or something no, like that. No, no. Oh, right. Okay.
2: Um, the next suspect is called Dwayne L Weber. First became a suspect in 1995. So ages afterwards when shortly before his death he told his wife, I've got a secret to tell you. I am Dan Cooper. Right. He lived a double life, one as a charming insurance salesman and another as a career criminal. He was arrested 16 times. Weber's wife and widow recalled a number of fascinating details. He may have owned a bank bag similar to the one used in the hijacking. He suffered a knee injury after jumping out of a plane. He apparently had a nightmare about leaving his fingerprints on the plane stairs. A year before the money was discovered at Tina Bar, Weber paid a visit to the same location. He had a military background, a criminal record, matched the physical description and was 47 years old at the time of the hijacking, so mid-40s. On the other hand, Weber's fingerprints did not match any of the sixty-six unidentified fingerprints lifted from Flight 305, but those fingerprints could also not be Cooper's. Weber's DNA did not match a sample of the DNA collected from the tie clasp. So that one has got a lot of interesting mm. parts to it. Uh I, I think the bank bag is an interesting one. I think the fact that he was already living a double life as an insurance salesman and as a career c- criminal. Um, I think that's, that's a very interesting one. How
1: many more suspects is there?
2: We've got one, two, three more suspects. Okay,
1: let's hold our thoughts.
2: Okay, the next suspect is called Barb Dayton. That's right, a woman. Oh. She confessed to being D.B. Cooper. She had the first sex change operation in Washington State, so she used to be a man. Right. So she would have been a man at the time happened. of the hijacking. She used to be Bobby. Bobby was a tough guy. Barb was a librarian and sweet. Was it the ultimate disguise? As a guy, Bob Dayton was a man with a grudge. He was a merchant marine, He so he was trained how to jump out of airplanes. However, there is no concrete evidence that ties Bob Dayton to the D.B. Cooper case whatsoever. So it's basically... The fact that she confessed to it is the only evidence they have that ties could tie her that's to a it. strange one yeah next suspect second to last william j smith first became a suspect in 2018 47 years Fucking hell. after the hijacking he had a military background he was 43 years old in 1971 so middle-aged Uh, So mid 40s, like they said, he had brown eyes. He matched the physical description. He shared a likeness with the sketches made of Cooper. He may have known a student called Daniel Cooper that died in World War Two as they attended the same high school. Smith worked as a yardmaster for a railroad company for most of his life. But in 1970, the company filed for bankruptcy. Smith lost his pension, which might suggest a motive. He could have developed a grudge against the airline industry for bringing about the downfall of the rail transportation industry.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's speculated that Smith could have used his knowledge of the railroad networks to escape the area after landing. On the other hand, Smith spent his entire life in the northeastern United States. The hijacking occurred on the other side of the country, and by someone who at least appeared to be familiar with the local terrain. Smith is not the most ideal candidate. So he's never lived in southeastern America. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't know where he wouldn't know where he was going. Okay. So, the fact that Smith worked as a yardmaster is interesting, though. The tie that Cooper left behind was recently examined using an electron microscope, which uncovered various metallic particles. Some of these particles, such as pure titanium, were quite rare in 1971. This might suggest that Cooper worked as a manager at some sort of chemical facility, or possibly a rail yard,
1: Mm. which is where
2: this man served. And then we've got the final... Suspect called Kenneth P. Christensen first became a suspect in 2003, 32 years after the hijacking. This happened because his own brother noticed certain parallels between him and Cooper. He had a military background as a paratrooper. He worked for Northwest Airlines as a mechanic and flight attendant before and after the hijacking. He was 45 at the time of the hijacking. He was left-handed, which it's said Cooper might have been. Shortly before Christensen died in 1995, he had supposedly told his brother, there is something you should know, but I cannot tell you. Christensen smoked, same as Cooper, and he had a fondness for bourbon which was the drink that Cooper ordered on the plane, if you remember. Mm -hmm. Schaffner, the flight attendant, told a reporter the photos of Christensen fit her memory of the hijacker's appearance more closely than those of the other suspects she had been shown, but could not conclusively identify him. After his passing, his family discovered over $200,000 in his bank accounts. On the other hand, Christensen did not match the physical description of Cooper exactly. He was a little bit shorter and lighter. Schaffner did comment that Cooper had a bit more hair than christensen, and there was and it turns out there was nothing suspicious about the large sums of money in his bank account. He had earned it by selling land so That is all the suspects that I've got. And another interesting uh, fact, just before I ask you what you think, uh, the FBI likely had a much better source of DNA at one point. If you remember, eight cigarette butts were collected from the scene, and there was a good chance that Cooper's DNA was on them. That evidence was lost at some point in the investigation and has not turned up since.
1: Oh, for fuck's sake. I know. That is literally... Oh, that is the... Oh, that is the answer. That's
2: the smoking gun, and they fucking lost it. As if. by now, in 2000s, they probably wouldn't have been able to analyse that. But out of all of those, Ugh. who do you think could be the most likely suspect?
1: I'm um, stuck between two. Mm-hmm. The second to last one. Okay, yeah. Uh,
2: so that was the rail yard guy, William J. Smith. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then I think not the one before that, the one before that.
2: Uh, so Dwayne L. Weber, the guy that said, uh, I've got a secret to tell you, I am Dan Cooper and had the, the double life as the insurance. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Cool. Those two. Cool.
1: I don't think the last one at all.
2: Really? Yeah. I is that your it, one? I, he's, he's one of mine. Really?
1: Yeah. So I'll tell you why I don't think it is that. Why? Because if he was a flight attendant for mm-hmm. that airline that he hijacked, mm-hmm. he would know how to get down those stairs.
2: Well, the thing is, he was a flight attendant for Northwest, and this was Northeastern Flight Three Hundred Five.
1: Well, yeah, but like they're probably still similar, aren't they? And how to like get down the stairs? But that is a
2: very good point that I hadn't thought of. He would have been trained. He would know how to do stairs. You're right. I know.
1: Obviously, though, they don't know that he knows, so they would probably have shown him anyway. But I just feel like
2: that's completely changed my perception. That's wrinkled my brain. That's absolutely right. In which case, my two was him and the same issue that Dwayne L Reba
1: the double life guy yeah do you not think the railway guy what's uh, it about the railway guy the ra- that you think no simply
2: because if i'm convinced that cooper was alive and if cooper is alive then he needed to know the local terrain to be able to escape properly fair
1: enough yeah that, to be fair that's the only thing that I, that did kind of think that did kind of make me think mm, maybe not
2: they did a t- like two or three day search with people in the air people on the ground everywhere mm. if he was someone that didn't know the terrain he would have gotten lost they would have found some sort of trace
1: yeah i guess so He's
2: someone that knew which way to go
1: i think it's generally then the double life guy
2: i think it is very suspect that the, a year before the money was discovered at tina bar that weber guy paid a visit to the same location mm. that's very suspect
1: yeah no i agree um and if he's already like a criminal but yeah i don't i don't know why i just got a weird feeling about the last one like Mm. why would you be a flight attendant and do that to other flight attendants um Mm. it just doesn't make any sense to me the Um, only
2: thing that i could think there is he worked as a mechanic and a flight attendant so is it possible that he worked as a mechanic before the hijacking and a flight attendant afterwards? So then he would not know how to open those stairs.
1: But why would why would you then become a flight attendant after hijacking a plane for the...
2: Hiding in plain sight? I
1: guess so to kind of... Yeah, I, I guess it is clever in a way. Mm. But I don't know. I just feel like that Double Life guy just... I'm going to makes... go with Weber.
2: Yeah, I think for this. So before we get to the clu- conclusion, I've got um, some strange and slightly unrelated facts, Okay. which are, are just some interesting. Oh, fun I just wanted
1: bits. to say the reason yes. why I went for the railway railway mm. guy was because it was interesting about he. The tie. he the the tie mm-hmm. and also the fact that he said on the plane that he had a grudge yeah. and then you explained the grudge. So those two things were mm. massive. I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Because
2: I I be, I bet I, I think they don't they don't really use tra- split it out. <laughs> Sorry. They don't really use trains for like travel like we do in the UK, do they in America? I don't They just think use so. planes. I don't so think they do at all. It is true that planes would have bought the end of travel yeah. by rail.
1: So and he said I don't have a grudge about your airline, I just have uh. a grudge. And then um, obviously the tie links in with railway chemical worker. So those mm. two things I thought were quite big clues that made me think either him or the the other guy. He that... could have
2: meticulously studied the terrain from home. He could have then done. And was lucky enough to pull it all off. Yeah. So yeah, it could possibly be him. But I'm going to oh, go... it's so
1: annoying because we'll never fucking know. It's not like I a know. quiz that you get the answer at the end. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so some fun little facts. Um, Cooper tidbits... In Vancouver, Washington, there is a DB Cooper-themed bar. There are beers called the Flight 305, the Skyjacker IPA, and Jet Fuel IPA. Okay. Do you want to take a trip to the DB Cooper bar? That's madness, isn't it? I know um in i don't know if you remember this or not but in the recent disney plus series loki from 2021 loki is shown memories of his past one of these memories is him losing a bet to thor he then has to hijack a plane and steal two hundred thousand dollars revealing to the audience that he was in fact db cooper
1: no i don't remember that it was all. in
2: like the first or second episode I don't remember that scene yeah so it's uh, so and then Wilson is like wow you're db cooper that's my own. That's quite good. Thank you very much. But that, yeah, that's what that's what happens in the episode. Um, one of the comedy movies that I watched when I was a child was called Without a Paddle, and it was about a group of friends that went on a cabbing trip to search for DB Cooper's treasure out in the woods.
1: Very sad. I,
2: I I think that's it. Was like a little bonding experience for these guys. It was quite, oh, I hit it was
1: quite a nerve. It's
2: quite funny. Well, no, it was just quite a funny film. I thought. Oh, it was a film. Yeah, it's oh. a fictional film.
1: Oh, I thought you. I thought it like happened.
2: Well, you think I did that?
1: No, not you, you oh. fucking idiot! I thought you meant people bloody went and did it. <laughs> no,
2: like. no, it's a fictional film. Oh, and the last one I've got is that in an episode of Breaking Bad, Walt enters Saul's office in a disguise of sunglasses and a baseball cap. Saul remarks, "Look at you! Should I call the FBI and tell them I found DB Cooper?" That's funny. So uh, that was some nice times. Little that, fun uh, facts. DB Cooper has been referenced in modern TV. So, um, in conclusion, I've got that in 2016, the FBI had to admit defeat and close down the case. Unless someone stumbles upon Cooper's remains or manages to track down the rest of the money, there is little hope of resolution.
1: I think that's, like, the dream. Not, like, the dream, but, like, if you were to commit a crime... Yeah, from a criminal's perspective, that's the dream. You know, you've got a Netflix documentary... People reference you in T V shows. Mm. Nobody knows who you are. There's five su- there's six suspects and you might even not even be one of them suspects.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like
1: it's fucking brilliant. Mm.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. And like
1: no one was actually harmed, realistically. Like it wasn't that detrimental. Mm. I um know. he just got loads of fucking money.
2: Yeah, it's meant to- but the thing is he's it it's never been spent. The money's never been spent. Yeah, so it's so,
1: very strange. What was the reason? But the thing is, if he held a
2: grudge, then in his mind he might not even want or desire to spend the money. Yeah, he might, he just, might just have just wanted to have had it and uh, uh, just achieve. Know that, that. he's had it. Yeah, yeah, and he's
1: and just yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't even know. I want to know, yeah. but I won't know. D.B. Cooper, can you let us
2: know. Can you imagine if, obviously, I don't know what his motive was for burying the money at Tina Bar, but imagine if he was so cocky that he was like, I've gotten away with this and I always will. I'm going to bury some of this here just so people w- might find it and they might fuck with some people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm and not going to lie. Probably was his fault. Probably thought... A lot of this stuff that he's done is probably... He's probably thought, oh, that will look... That will like throw them off, like picking Mm. up a dummy parachute. That's probably he's probably done that on purpose to throw them off, so they don't Mm -hmm. think he's like a parachute or Mm. ex army or whatever. Mm. So, yeah,
2: yeah, interesting. But what do you guys think? What our verdict is that I mean, if we had to pick one, we're picking Dwayne Weber. Uh, the career criminal, but if uh, what do you guys think? Do you guys have an idea of who you think DB Cooper is? We'd love to know your thoughts on what you thought of the of the story. Please contact us on Instagram at Court Case Podcast or on Twitter at Court Case Cast. Um, we got some great episodes coming up i want to do i've told talk to you about this already i want to do one on um some like hollywood criminals yeah so I, I will talk about the guy from lost profits because he is fucking disgusting yes he's absolutely uh, i'll talk about that i would speaking of mysteries that have never been solved i would like to do one on jack the ripper mm-hmm. i think that could be a really good one yeah um and would you be interested in hearing that one
1: yeah yeah i would yeah
2: so i think that w- i'll plan on doing those so that'll be sick and uh we've got some guests lined up soon hopefully a comedian from the local area is going to come on
1: if you guys have any questions about flight attendant we could do an episode yeah.
2: now i w- i think that'd be a great episode because i find yeah.
1: like people ask me a lot of questions about it mm. Because um, the other day we went over to James's friend from work, and yeah. literally the whole evening was just spent them asking me questions about my job, yeah. and like I love talking about it. Mm. And I, uh, to be fair, like I did ask a lot of flight attendants questions about the job before I did it, so I get it.
2: Well, what we'll do is um, we'll go on our Instagram and we'll pose that question. People be-, be like, we will do a flight attendant episode. Do you have any questions? Mm sweet tea and also if you're listening to this episode and you've got questions yourself please uh contact us at court case podcast on instagram yeah and, or, email. Uh, or email us court case podcast at gmail.com please keep supporting the show become a member of the jury if you can it's only two pounds 50 a month and it really supports the show and you get the episodes early ad free sponsor free so please uh support the show and really hope you enjoyed this episode we can't wait to get back to you with some more next week ta-ta for now guys bye bye don't hijack any planes laters